Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 263, recorded March 19th, 2017. And today, Ken, are you ready? Today, I'm, I'm ready. We finish off the Kelvin Borg story. Yes. And then we get a little side story from our favorite new character from Star Trek Beyond. Yes. A very, I, I think, I think a breakout character. And then we switch gears and we get a ten-year-old's interpretation of how things go on Voyager, <laughs> which I, I think is kind of cute. And then we get a Deep Space Nine story. <laughs> <laughs> you don't sound excited. Okay? You, well, you even, love even Deep Space then, Nine. It's, it's not even a Deep Space Nine story so much. It's just well, it's a character from Deep Space Nine. A character telling a story. It's almost like the Voyager one too. It's like somebody telling a story about yeah. something that didn't happen, or well, well you one don't know that didn't happen to them. Let me say that. Yeah. Okay. So it, it, it's a it's a mixed bag, but. But we start off with uh, Boldly Going, exactly. with issue number four and five, yep. so these are good. Yeah, we got to see exactly how the Kelvin Enterprise gang is able to take on, without the Enterprise, by, by the way, is able mm-hmm. to take on the Borg. And I'm sorry, without next-gen technology, advanced technology. Right. Well, you also got to think that the Borg are also a little less... Uh, technically well, savvy as they would be in well it, it's it's less advanced a number of years yes maybe there's probably but, thousands of species they haven't assimilated yet so yes. but with their way of assimilating would they perhaps advance more quickly than the federation technologically speaking i don't know i think maybe but i, I would think they should but yeah. plus i think i think they've been doing their stuff a lot longer than the federation has Right, so they should be even more I mean, advanced. It's two hundred years, two hundred years in the future from now. But the Borg have been doing what they've been doing, I think, for a longer period of time. Who knows? Who knows? Right. The main well, point is the, they got a challenge. Feature. So at least that long. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, we'll we'll see how our heroes uh, take on this uh, critical challenge. Right, so just to catch everybody up, up until now, the poo has really hit the fan. It has. So the, so the Borg have gone and scooped out a whole bunch of Federation citizens, including Sulu's husband and daughter. Yep. And now it's heading to Romulus to find Nero's ship, the Narada, which, as we know, isn't there anymore because it's sucked into a black hole. Right. But keep that in mind. Stakes are high. Even oh, stakes are high. And the great thing is we're going we're gonna to see exactly what happens to Sulu's husband and, and child. That's going to be great when we find out exactly what happened to them. Uh, yeah, it'll be great. 
<laughs> and yeah, I spoke over you. But yes, uh, Spock has also been captured. Rather than Picard, we have our beloved Spock. Yes. All right, so uh, shall we go ahead? Let's do it. Issue four has a cover date of January 2017. The writing was done by Mike Johnson. Art and colors by Tony Shaston. Letters by And World Design. Production design, Neil Yutaki. Edits, Sarah Gatos and Chris Chrisassi. And the publisher was Ted Adams. As normal with IDW, there's several covers. The main cover is almost a cartoony look of Spock, with uh, half his face being tinted in blue but looking normal like Spock, and then the other half being tinted in red and being borged. The other cover is the photo incentive cover, which is just a movie poster from Star Trek Beyond with McCoy. And then there is the paper doll version and this shows Spock and you can put him in a Vulcan outfit his normal tunic or what looks like a way mission jacket and then we have the subscription cover which is a picture of Ahura with the background showing that she has transfer orders she was previously on the Enterprise and her new post is new Vulcan so the story as we mentioned before, picks up after several Federation people have been scooped up by the Borg, and the Borg is now heading into Romulan space. The Endeavor, captained by Captain Kirk, is in pursuit, even though he has to cross the neutral zone. And Spock, who's the most famous of the Borg captives, is aboard the Sphere, along with Sulu's husband and daughter. The story starts with Spock reliving his memories, but with a slight Borg twist. Teachers and leaders from his past are being replaced by Borg versions of themselves, and they keep telling him how he will be assimilated, while also seeming very intrigued by his hybrid biology. Meanwhile, in Romulan space, the Endeavor is met by a Romulan warbird. Kirk tries to explain that they are there to stop the Borg and save the captives. The Romulan commander only agrees once Kirk surrenders the ship to him as a sign of goodwill. They continue on their mission to Romulus. Once they're there, they find that the Borg are easily defeating the Romulan fleets. Kirk has a plan, and he gets the rest of the crew ready to pull it off. Back in the Borg sphere, Spock realizes that they are not able to assimilate him due to being half Vulcan and half human. He wakes from the dreamscape, and he pulls the Borg implants off of his face with a spray of green blood. He fights off his captors, including the Borg version of Captain Terrell. Spock reaches out and performs a nerve pinch, and he says, Captain Terrell, sleep. Suddenly, all of the Federation and Romulan captives aboard the Borg sphere are beamed away and beamed over to the Endeavor. As the ships attacking the sphere all pull away, the photon torpedoes that Kirk had beamed over all detonate and destroy the Borg sphere. Later on Romulus, the female Praetor returns the Endeavor back to Kirk. She does state that there's one condition, however, and that is that Vallis, the Romulan crew member aboard the ship, must return to the Empire and face charges due to her parents leaving the Empire while she was a baby. 
Kirk refuses. But Vallis agrees, saying that her life is a small price to pay for saving all of the other Federation citizens. Kirk returns back to Federation space. Spock and Ahura join him, and they all agree that this will not be the last time they hear from the Borg. The end. Hmm. That seemed to end rather quickly. Very abrupt. Yes. But at least they had a bittersweet victory in that they did lose Valis. Now, I think that was a very interesting... That was one of the most interesting parts of the story, in my personal opinion. That and maybe Spock's awesome six-pack. He is quite built. He is buff. And I'll I'll just say this about that. Did they make him look so muscular uh, to make it more believable that he could kick the butt of multiple Borgs at one time? Right. I did leave him out of the synopsis, but uh, while he's being assimilated, he is naked. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I don't know. I just think the artist really wanted to give him a good physique. Yeah. Okay, well, he did. Okay, so the whole thing about Ballas. In some ways, it was cool because it wasn't like a pad ending. There was a little something there um, that was not good. They didn't get everything they wanted. Because quite frankly, getting all those people back was, you know, that's what, one heck of a trick. So I kind of like it from that standpoint. But also, are we going to find out that Valus was actually some kind of spy or something? I wonder. I was, I was wondering that, yeah. Yeah, because I would not trust Romulans. Sorry. Anyway. I mean, is this the first time we've seen a Romulan member of a Starfleet crew? Right, it is. Okay, of, of on, course, yeah. Go ahead. On Deep Space Nine, there was a, there was a Romulan. Um, she, was, she was part of the Romulan Empire, but she was assigned to the Defiant for a little right. bit. Okay. But she was phased out pretty quick. Okay. That's the part of the story that actually intrigues me the most. Yeah, I would like to see where that, where that goes. Yeah, yeah. So what would you think about the resolution as far as uh, unborgifying all the captives? Well, it seemed kind of easy, um, but they deborgified Picard, so I guess. You guess. It, it, it's not even mentioned. They don't even say what they do. Yeah, well, did they There's also... no resolution at all. No. It's just, like, and... they all beam them over to sickbay, and the doctor, like, hypos one of them, and that's it. That's yeah. the last we even know of what happens to anybody. Did, did we see Sulu's family? Nope. I don't remember seeing it. Nope, nothing. That seemed like a big deal, and it was a big deal earlier in the uh, in the story arc, but... Right. Nothing. Yeah. Captain Terrell? Nope. We don't, we don't see him on the ship at all. Right. Okay. Yeah, no, I was really, I was really disappointed that there was no resolution to that. Just like, you know, and it shows Spock later with a bunch of little band aids around his eye where he pulled the, the implant out. But yeah. what about everybody else who probably lost their arms and have all that stuff really embedded in their exactly. in their brains? Yep, I agree. But at least they did show the blood and that Spock was muy muy macho in. Um... In just pulling it all out, no matter what the pain threshold might entail. Right. So that was kind of cool, I thought. Yeah. But it was a little pat. And by the way, am I missing something? How did they get through the Borg shields? 
I was wondering that too. <laughs> so they made a big deal in Best of Both Worlds how they had to fly a shuttle past the Borg shields, and then once you're within the shields, you can, you know, you can transport over. Right. And there's like no mention of any of this here. Nope. No, I guess we were supposed to assume that the Romulan attack uh, weakened them enough, but it never says that. Yeah. Well, that's what that was the only explanation that came to my mind, also. Which you know, you know, you really should have probably explained that, (laughs) right? Um, Because it just seemed to be a big gaping hole for anybody that has read a Star Trek story or two, right? Of course, the idea that shields only work against energy weapons. So, or at least Borg shields, you can apparently fly a ship through them. Seems like a, a little bit, bit of a design problem. <laughs> I mean, what? I mean, it, it, there are such things as uh, rail guns, or the possibility of them anyway. Even though you never see them used in the Star Trek universe, uh, a very fast projectile <laughs> could do a lot of damage, and apparently, it can just go through Borg shields. I don't know. Yeah, what do they? What do they call them in Halo? Do they I, call them? I, I think they're rail guns. Rail guns, yeah. But makes sense. You just throw a giant projectile. But you would think that they would have deflector shields and all other stuff that would deflect well, there physical you matter as well. Exactly. Well, okay, I, let's not get into it. <laughs> <laughs> we could go on for a whole episode on that kind of stuff. Uh, right. Anyway, I thought there was a v- the very cool full-color page shot that had all those Romulan ships attacking the Borg sphere. I think that was very cool. That was very great so much detail yeah i would like to see what the romulan loss of life on this is yeah yep well it looks like a wolf 359 to me or yeah, it does big and, big and this was just a sphere not even a, a cube exactly so in our experience in next gen situation the spheres are always smaller than the cubes is it still the same way or is this just uh, – or back back a, a hundred years before uh, Next Gen, they made big spheres too. I don't know. Right. Or maybe they just haven't uh, – they haven't graduated to the cube yet in this timeline. <laughs> maybe. They, I don't they know. They haven't mastered cube technology. They're still sphering it up. <laughs> maybe. So. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, but I don't know. I, I like the sphere. And I, like, I like in some of the expanded universe where they've explained that the sphere is – is like the little scout ship, the faster one. So right. maybe that's why it came instead of the the Borg cube. Right. doesn't make sense because in space there would be no drag or anything. So it's not yeah. like – It could be any shape it wants to be. Yeah. Exactly. Which is why I always like the cube, the cube idea. It's It looks totally ridiculous if you think about it. It's like – Well, but if you think about it, it's like, oh, it could be any shape. It doesn't well, matter. Yeah, it's like, it's like, well, it's the most logical form, right? You have – you don't have any weird curved walls or anything. Everything's perfectly 90 degrees. Mm. Why not? Maximize the uh, space usage. Exactly. Yep. True, true. Simple. <clears throat> okay. All right. So we've talked about uh, Spock just ripping out the implants. I right. In his head. Yeah. I did not like the fact that the Borg were having such a hard time assimilating a, a hybrid. That, that yeah. makes no sense to me. They no, can none. they can assimilate a, a reptile person, and then within the same equipment, they can rip, you know, uh, assimilate 
you know, those people from the other dimension, whatever, you know, they never had a problem assimilating anything. And I really find it hard to believe just because someone's half human, half Vulcan, they can't figure it out. Yeah. When I first saw that, I was thinking, oh, it must be Spock. I mean, the fact they weren't assimilating right away. Oh, it must be Spock's mental uh, uh, control, uh, discipline, blah, 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 that kind of thing. But no, it's the hybridness of him. So it's like, well, that, that's what makes him unique. It makes no sense, but okay. <laughs> I don't know. Right. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Hard to, hard to buy. Although I did like how they were replaying scenes from the 2009 Star Trek movie. To, oh! To get you to, I don't know, where I, we saw Borg versions of all these scenes that we'd seen before. Oh, it, it, I thought it was pure genius to use that jerk from the Vulcan Science Academy. That that specious jerk. I, I thought, oh, that's perfect to be uh, the guy that represents the Borg in trying to uh, take down Spock. That's perfect, right? But even his own father, at one point, when it, when he when he's reliving his mother passing away, right? Uh, you can see Sarek as a Borg. Yeah. Yeah, I thought I thought those scenes were cool, but I just didn't buy the the fact that uh, it was uh, it was because he was a hybrid. Yeah, me neither. And then I really, I mean, I liked it and didn't like it at the same time. The whole sleep line. Oh like, yeah, come on. <laughs> it's funny, but uh, that's about it's it. out of place. Right. He does put him to sleep. Well, I, I guess that's just one of Spock's many powers. Well, it's a nerve pinch. Yeah. Same as sleep, right? Yes. Yes. Knocked out, sleep, whatever. Yeah. Anyways, that's my last comment. I, I did like all the artwork. I will, I will say that. And I like, I like the story all overall. I just think it was, it ended too fast. It should have been, yeah. Should have been one more issue. It should have been a five parter, so that we could have a, a correct resolution. Yeah, or, yeah. or a satisfactory. Uh, exactly. It, it it was rushed. But, you know, sometimes they go too long, too. So the the creative folks are, are making decisions. Uh, maybe they had a version of the uh, of the story which did go on another issue, and they decided to back off. Who knows? Right. And I'm sure, I mean, five is a complete one-off, so don't expect any resolution in the next issue. But no. maybe six, maybe six will... We'll Come least, back to it? Well, we'll have to. We have to find out what happened to Sulu's family since they made such a big deal out of it out of for three issues. Uh, and then to just suddenly drop that storyline altogether seems odd. Yeah. Yep. I want to see Sulu's daughter walking around with, with Borg implants on her like Seven of Nine. Well, okay. So now that Kirk's lost his uh, first officer, Sulu, right? Right. Or, or, or will Spock come back? I don't know. But Sulu seems like a logical fit. Um, so I expect something like that to be happening. At least they're pulling Sulu back onto the Enterprise, I think. Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I think everybody from the old crew will be back on the Enterprise for the next movie, except for Chekhov. Oh, yeah. Well, we know that. I'm just saying the next issue oh, uh, yeah. of well, this. You mean the Endeavor, not the Enterprise. Yes, back on the ship. Okay. Yep. Well, you said Enterprise. I thought you were shooting to the movie. Sorry. No, 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 no. My, my, my mistake for 
I shouldn't have said Enterprise. It is confusing, though. Uh, well, they are very close, uh, not only spelling-wise, but also, um, you know, co- from a concept. It's really amazing. You, Endeavor, Enterprise. I mean, as a oh. – it's very cool. It's, it, you know. Anyway, that's funny. All right. Well, shall we go on and see uh, this little side story that has nothing yeah. to do with the a nice in, little, invasion? A nice little standalone. That gives us the backstory to a, uh, a pretty cool character. Okay, so this is issue number five of Star Trek Boldly Go. It's February 2017th for publish date. Writer is Mike Johnson. Art, Tony Shastine. Colors by J.T. Mettler. Letterer and world design. Production design, Neil Yataki. Editor, Sarah Gatos and Chris Sarasi. And publisher, Ted Adams. It's mostly the same people as the previous one, but I think, yeah, letterer's different. No, letter's the same. Colors, colors difference. Okay, so I probably could have just said J.D. Mettler's the colors. Everybody else is the same, but whatever. Okay, we got four covers. Four covers. Cover A features, yes, Jayla, with her staff weapon brought to bear. A yellow and white background is behind Jayla. This cover is done by George Kaltsodas. Kaltsodas, yes. The retailer incentive cover is the Star Trek Beyond movie poster that's featuring a photo of Jayla. And then there's a swarm of flying ships cutting across diagonally from the upper right towards lower left. Uh, you know, pretty much like all the other photo covers, but this one features Jayla. The second retailer instead of variant cover is Dr. McCoy paper figure toy, complete with several changes of clothing, a medical tricorder, and of course, a triple. Cover by Mark Lemming. The last one is a cover featuring Scotty and his transfer orders from the Enterprise to Starfleet Academy. And this cover is by Tony Shastine. Jayla is walking in a dark place with cold metal walls. Her flashlight is the only thing illuminating this alien place. She breaks down and cries. Her loneliness, her loss, it all catches up with her. Then she notices writing on the wall. USS Franklin, Registry, NX-326. The narrative jumps back in time when she escaped Crawl's imprisonment with her only surviving family member, her father. Together, they are able to get far beyond Crawl's compound and think they are home free. But a sudden beam of green light instantly bores a hole in Jayla's father's right shoulder. He can only move at the speed of a brisk walk with his injuries. He tells Jayla to go on without him. He will delay them and meet her later. She knows he's lying, but does as her father says. She goes, she goes, but before long hears the zack sound of a weapon that killed her father. She screams, Father! And in response is chased away by long-range weapons fire. Jayla's thoughts go further back when she, her father, and sister are being held by Crawl. Her sister is taken and fed upon. Her murderer convinces father to take any risks required to get them out of Crawl's prison. 
Jayla's thoughts take her further back to when she and her family were free. They were spacefaring traders that went to new worlds with open arms and hopes of doing enough business to keep them flying. Unfortunately, they came to Krall's world. Their open arms were met with swarming drone ships that tore their home, their ship, to shreds. They have enough power to maximize shields as they head towards the surface of the world that attack them mercilessly. She remembers far back to her sister, Kila, when she tried to train Jayla in hand-to-hand combat. The precocious child, with a knack for devices, said she knows how to fight already. Then she demonstrates that by using a holographic projector of her own design to take her older, larger sister by surprise and defeat her. She remembers her mother's death. She remembers her mother's death. Mother expressed such faith in Jayla. She said she could achieve anything. Her dying words said she would always be with Jayla. Father, Kayla, and Jayla say some words over their mother's body and as it was loaded into a torpedo casing and shot into space. The magic of the narrative shows we the readers, Jayla, shortly after her birth. Father and mother are so proud. Father pronounces her facial markings make her look fierce. Our fierce little one, he says. Mother says Jayla, like the rest of her family, belong among the stars. And among them, she will always find a home. Cut to the grounds of Starfleet Academy, where the lovely Jayla is walking across a lawn, proudly wearing her red cadet uniform. The Beginning. There you go. Yep. Jayla, backstory. Yeah, and they told it uh, memento style. Um, yes, memento style. Um, in the in the style of uh, <laughs> a lot of movies lately, quite frankly. Um, you know, jumping around uh, temporally in the story. Right. Uh, Quentin Tarantino movies. They love doing that. So yeah, kind of cool. Although, quite frankly, I don't. You know, it's almost like it's become so common now. The novelty of it is kind of worn off, at least for me. Mm. So, you know, was it the best way to do this this issue? I don't know. Uh, was it done just because that's kind of a style as to as as opposed to it really being useful uh, to the narrative? I don't know, but eh, whatever. <laughs> I'm getting a little sick of it, quite frankly. A lot of people are doing that now. Yeah, well, I mean, like, like, give me an example where it was done badly. Oh, I don't know that it wasn't done badly per se. It just seems to be like kind of like done these days just for style, right? It's okay. like, hey, you know, we could do it this way. Um, I just watched Pulp Fiction, and uh, yeah, let's do that. Yeah, Pulp Fiction was was done well in that it was it was done that way, but it was also an anthology where it was completely different stories that that may or may not have been linked. Right. Well, yeah. But in the end, they were linked. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, there's no two ways about it. Tarantino's doing the... That's... 
I think Jackie Brown might have been the only. That's the only. Um, that's the only. That's the only one that comes immediately to mind that didn't do this. Hateful Eight. Not really. Oh, Hateful Eight jumped around. Eh, well, it had the. There was a backstory at one point. Well, yeah, you found out. Uh, basically, yeah. it jumped back and showed you towards the end. It jumped back and showed you the whole deal with uh, the bad guys. The bad guys. It almost seemed a little on the gratuitous side, but it, it's fine. I, I like the issue. I like Jayla. I thought she was a breakout character from uh, Beyond movie, and um, yeah, there you go. Yeah, I enjoyed the father stuff, the 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 escape um, story. I thought that was really good, and and it gave her much more reason to be so bitter when she meets Scotty and stuff. That, you know, we kind of knew that that she had a rough life, but seeing it just drove it home even further. Oh, yeah. And especially towards the end of the movie where she's saying, hey, you can go back to Corral's compound, but I'm not. Now you know a lot more details as to why she's so fearful of it. Right. Yeah. And I did like how Crawl uh, looked different. So he had obviously uh, fed on somebody that we didn't see. Mm-hmm. He didn't look like that in the movie, like on page – well, I'm looking at the Comixology PDF. That's not really PDF, but whatever it is. CBC. Uh, page 12. So when he's trying to like – when he grabs her, grabs the sister, he does not – that looks different than, than the crawl from the movie, right? Uh, or is that even way? supposed to be crawl? Oh, that's crawl. Yeah, I think. Yeah, because um... – yeah. Uh, does he look that much different? In what way? What do you mean? I don't know. It looks like his. Well, if you look on page, if you look at the page before it, okay. it looks more like Crawl from the movie. Okay. And then on that page, he didn't, which I was basing my comment on this page and not the previous one. Okay. So never mind. It just doesn't. He doesn't have the head ridges on that. Uh, it. That yeah. Page. On that particular that one cell or that one panel, it does look a little bit lower on detail. But you see him from a profile more, so you can't see the top of his head. Mm. It's the top of the head that seems to have a lot of detail. Yeah. Well, maybe that's uh, I was just thinking that maybe, you know, because he kind of takes on the traits of whoever he fed on. So I, I thought, well, that was great. You know, he doesn't look like the crawl from the TV or from the movie because who knows who he fed on last, right? So Oh, I, but, didn't, uh, I didn't realize that. Crawl takes on the characteristics of the person he fed off of? Hmm, interesting. Well, that's why he starts looking somewhat human there towards the end, because he'd been feeding off of the, the humans from the ship. Oh, I thought he was running out of juice. So he was reverting back to more of his human form. Okay. Uh, hmm, I, good okay. point. No, I took it that he, he took on the characteristics. That's why he kind of looked like the the woman that, that was kind of – she was working for him. Remember, she said that her uh, yeah she was doing it because because he had her people uh huh and I thought he kind of looked like her because he had been feeding off of her people and that and that was what they were implying by him kind of looking a little bit like like she did interesting I'm gonna have to go and rewatch and compare the uh, the looks of Crawl and the Betrayer whatever right. her name was and by the way I was so happy when the Enterprise fell on her. <laughs> in the movie. Right. Womp. Not sadistic at all. Uh, sadistic? S no, sadistic. 
Me sadistic? Wait a minute. Yeah, you. you oh, she. Were you? you know, nah, she. She does they it. Oh yeah. Well, of course they, they manipulate you. They, mm-hmm. may, you know, they give her enough lines. You really don't like her. Anyway. Yeah. Even though she was trying to save her people, so you can't completely fault her. Wouldn't you do the same? Okay. Thing hold to on. Save hold your on. Family. <laughs> hold on a second. Um. That was the story she told Kirk to manipulate him. Oh, you don't think that was true? No. Ah. Uh... No. I, I think she worked for him. And maybe at one point in time, you know, she and her crew were taken by him. But I think she betrayed her people and became and aligned herself with Crawl pretty quickly. Hmm. I think. Well, now I need to rewatch it because I did not. I, I always thought she was a. Uh... She was doing it out of duress, but well, oh, uh, okay. When I mean, I know that she was chasing him and stuff. I'll go back and rewatch it. You, you watch that because after um, after Kirk makes like, hey, this is where I hit it, and she totally turns into a you know a, a nice person that was trying trying to do what did what she had to do. She turned into a uh, a bad person. You could tell right. by the that different look on her face. <laughs> All right, I'm going to go back and rewatch it. And you're an idiot, Kirk. You'll believe anything. Anyway. He has been known to do that. Yes, but he knew better. He knew her. He figured it out. Anyway. So, um, so it's kind of funny, but Jayla's father really, really likes to wear tan-colored vests with lots of pockets. <laughs> Yes, he, he idolized uh, the Crocodile Hunter. <laughs> Is that a Crocodile Hunter? Something like that. Yeah. So when he dies, he's wearing one. And when Jayla's born, he's wearing one. So the guy doesn't have a lot of variety in his closet. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, okay. Cool. Maybe that was that's, that's common fashion on their planet. <laughs> probably, probably. <laughs> I enjoyed this story a lot. Um, it was a little jarring in that it didn't continue the Borg story, but um, yeah. I'm glad I'm glad we got it. Yeah. Yeah, it was different. And that's the nice thing about uh, either TV episodes or issues of comics. You can go ahead and examine little things. Like a lot of TV shows, after like in their first season, or have to get going for a while, and everything's about the lead character or lead characters, and then they'll do an episode about the supporting characters. I like those. Yep. So this is definitely the kind of thing they did here, and I like it. Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. And I, the artwork was fantastic. I thought yes. Every page how, was good. How did you like uh, Jayla's family ship, the ship design? It's interesting. It looks like a hammer almost. Yeah. Maybe. Or like a staple gun or something. Yeah. <laughs> staple gun. Yeah, kind of. So like you said about the Borg Cube uh, or Sphere, uh, you know, a ship can be any shape. So why not? Why not that shape? I thought it was interesting. It kind of reminds me a little bit of maybe some of those Romulan, you know, attack ships, mm-hmm. you know, the fighters or something. Um, right. You know, very different, asymmetrical kind of shape. Um, so right. I, I'm not saying that they, they look exactly the same, but they're similar in the fact that they just have very asymmetrical, unique shapes to them. Yeah, no, it was interesting. And then when the little swarm came through, they like tore up the yep 
I guess the handle part. I don't know. The, <laughs> the, the, the engines are up on one part, and then it looks like maybe there's like the the hammer part would be where the the living quarters are. Maybe. So the swarm just came right in the middle and ripped it all apart. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it was good. Yep. And then I really liked the last page where it showed her in her cadet uniform. Uh-huh. Yeah. So. Now, one thing about that last page. Mm-hmm. Um, the last panel. To her left and to the right-hand side from the reader's standpoint, there is another alien that you see like only part of him on the right-hand side. Mm-hmm. And looking at that alien's face from the side, that kind of looks like crawl, or at least a crawl-like alien. Right, a little bit. So I just thought that was like, huh, why, why did you put some, an alien in there? You could put any alien in there, but you chose to put an alien there, in there that looked an awful lot like crawl. Yeah, well, maybe that was one of uh, the woman's... Um last remaining crew member that were still on that planet. And he also joined Starfleet after being rescued. Oh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Yeah, okay. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I, I just don't know whether they put that in there as kind of like a little subliminal um, like danger or something, or just like like, oh, she's got a brave new world, but there's still danger out there. I don't know. Mm. But, yeah. I yeah. Don't know. So we got an Andorian in the background, far in the background. Yep, and one of those and new big aliens. I don't I don't even know what that species I, is. I don't know either. Have we seen him before? Yeah, he's in the movie. Oh, is he in the movie? Okay. Yeah. Okay, I'll have to go and look for him again. Yeah, he's one of the 50 new alien species they put in the movie. Because okay, it's so the he, 50th anniversary. He's, I don't he's, know of that particular guy, but that species, whatever. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, he's on the Enterprise crew? I think so, or... Okay. I don't remember. I need to rewatch. Or maybe movie. he was on the uh, space station, yeah. Yorktown. Maybe. Huh. Cool. Maybe, okay. maybe he he was the the nanny of the baby. Nanny of the baby. Ah, wow. Ooh. Okay. That'd be cool if he was a nanny. Oh yeah. This big hulking monster. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Anything else for this issue? Nothing. All right. Let's move on to Waypoint, where we get two stories. Two. 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 Uh, very exciting because this is the first true Voyager story we get uh, from IDW. So to date, the only Voyager comic books we've ever had was Marvel, right? Nobody right. else has ever done one. Yeah. And then uh, the second half is a Deep Space Nine story, which which we IDW did do a miniseries, Fool's Gold, which was Deep Space Nine. Yep. And then Malibu had Deep Space Nine and Marvel, so... Deep Space Nine has had a pretty good run in comic books, but right. Voyager, not not so much, and Enterprise, definitely not so much. Not so much, or, or at all until a recent uh, – was it the latest issue of Waypoint? Yeah, Waypoint number uh, four. Okay. Cool. Which so I, I, ha- I had to go ahead and read, so I yeah. actually read number four before I read number three. <laughs> yeah, I had I had to do that too. Oh, you read it too? Yeah, I did. Yeah, and to be honest, I kind of got confused when I was doing the synopsis, and I started synopsizing uh, that one. Oh, did you? Yeah, it wasn't until I was like, wait, what? Well, you really what wanted to do that one. one. You really <laughs> wanted to do that Enterprise one. Yeah. Oh. Which, as you said to me, uh, doesn't even have Enterprise in it until the very end. Yeah, it's a little very sad. Odd. 
Very odd. All right, so this issue came out January of 2017. And uh, we'll do the – I'll give the writing credits as we do the story. So we'll do the covers first. So there's three covers. First one is a uh, artist rendition of a shuttle crash. And then we see Seven of Nine, Chakotay, Janeway, and Balana with phasers drawn getting ready to – I guess attack whoever downed the shuttle. The next one is a photo incentive sh cover, which has Seven of Nine in her first really silvery cat suit. And then the last cover shows uh, the crew of Deep Space Nine with um, Cisco holding out his hand, and then inside of his hand is a holographic representation of the station. So the first story is entitled The Wildman Maneuver. A Star Trek Voyager story. Its uh, writer was Mari Reed Scott. Artist is Corin Howell. Colorists Jason Lewis. Letters and world design. The story is actually told using uh, drawing and storytelling techniques of that of maybe a 10-year-old girl. So, story is that Paris sleep at the wheel and Voyager is a is boarded by little tiny green aliens. Janeway was out of commission due to not having her coffee yet. So therefore the little aliens have completely captured the ship. The only hope is that Ensign Special Class Wildman can free them. She is a black clad ninja. Wildman is able to get Seven of Nine to help, and soon they free many of the crew. They give Janeway a full pot of coffee right down the throat, and together they're able to overtake all of the aliens using literal science bombs. Everyone is now wearing shades as the USS Voyager flies off to its next adventure. Back in the real world, Naomi is putting the finishing touches on her comic book masterpiece. She returns to the living area to find Neelix sitting on the couch. Naomi, feeling very grown up, orders a cup of black coffee and takes a sip, promptly spitting it out, saying, Ew, gross. The end. A cute little story. It's an ice break from the ship and or you know the ship being at risk or an entire planet being threatened destruction and yada yada so you know it's nice kind of a break from all that kind of stuff a little little nice little character thing and there was some nice uh, humor in it too i thought right and it was cute to see how a kid would see the going ons of the ship sure and put her own take on it i liked it yeah I kind of liked how Wildman drew Harry playing the clarinet on the bridge. Right. At first, I was looking at it going, hey, somebody's playing an instrument. Uh, that's got to be Harry. Okay, good. Right. Yeah, I liked that a lot. Yeah. And I liked how the little aliens were, you know, little kid-sized, yet they were able to take over the whole ship. I thought yeah. that was a nice little nod to her being short in stature and mm -hmm. feeling powerless. Oh, so okay. To give these... These little guys' power to, right. to take over the ship. Thought and, that was yeah, and they look kind of like stereotypical green, little green alien kind of things. Mm -hmm. 
And then uh, I, there was one part where she was trying to say uh, the alien attack was quiet early in the morning. Quite early. But then she like scribbles out. She puts quit, quiet, quite. I love that. I love that. That's good. Some of these words are a little hard to keep straight, especially for a young'un. Right. No, it was good. It, I, like I said, it, it, I would have liked a more traditional Voyager story. Yes. But I really like this. Yeah. Uh, it yeah. Just it's just sad that we have to wait so far and few between to get another Voyager story, and then when we finally do get one, they take this slant as opposed to having a normal, a normal one. But right. I like it. Yeah. Even the ship has a face on it and stuff when it's flying around. <laughs> yeah, so her drawing of uh, Voyager is kind of cool. I mean, it, it's cute. But it's the end, the last panel, I believe, of the story shows, you know, the real Voyager. And that's a cool drawing. So after seeing the kid version of it, then you see, like, a more realistic version of it. And it, it, I think it just looks really cool. Right. Uh, I think they did, did a good job of drawing it. At the right. end. No, I was good. I thought – I don't really have anything else to say about it. I thought Neither it was do I. good. I liked no, it. It's light. It's airy. Yeah. It, it, it was what it was supposed to be, which yeah. was uh, an entertaining story uh, told from a kid's point of view. I thought yep. it was good. Yeah. All right. So next up is one entitled Mother's Walk. And then uh, – so it's entitled Mother's Walk, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine story. The writer was Cecile Castellesi, artist by Megan Levins, colorist by Sarah Stern, letters by Anne World Design. And then overall, the whole book had the editor was Sarah Gatos, assistant editor was Chris Chrisasi, uh, production design Neil Yutaki, and publisher Ted Adams. All right, so this story starts off with Kira looking out the window of Deep Space Nine, and she sees the Shardan constellation. She then uh, later arrives to the holodeck to practice with the Batleth with Jadzia, and she tells Jadzia the importance of the constellation. So then we get a flashback. Years ago, a mother-daughter team of fabric merchants traveled to sell their bolts of fabric at a at a big market. They get caught in a blizzard and they wrap a bolt of fabric around themselves to not only try to stay warm, but also to keep from losing each other in the snow. When they finally make it to market, they do not sell that fabric that saved their lives and instead they keep it as a remembrance. Over the years, even though they grew apart, as the daughter grew older and had a family of her own, the two always made the walk once a year to the market. When the mom died, she gave the fabric to her daughter, and it has their names etched inside it. Over the years, it became symbolic for mothers and daughters to perform this walk when the constellation appeared. During the Cardassian occupation, the Cardassians outlawed the walk, and they hung anyone who tried to perform it with the very cloth that the women were wrapping themselves around to symbolize the original bolt of cloth from the original story. Back to the real world, Jadzia tells the story to everyone on the station. They all reach out to Kira for various different reasons, 
as why they should be the stand-in for her mother so that Kira could do the walk. The O'Briens, who I think have the best claim, want to walk with Kira because they see Kira as being a member of the family because she carried their daughter. Bashir wants to be the stand-in because he's her doctor, and that's kind of like a mother. Cork wants to do it because he wants to be a mother. It was unclear. Dax wants to because she's her best friend. Sisko offers because he's the emissary. Odo offers because he says that he's genderless and he could just as easily be a mom. In the end, Kira declines all their offers, and she seeks guidance from the prophets using one of the orbs. While she's in her orb state, she discovers that she is not familyless after all. She has a whole space station of family, and she invites them all. Garrick arrives with a long bolt of cloth with everyone's name already on it. The end. Well, how nice uh, and unexpected. This, um... I thought this was uh, a very odd little story. Yep. But nice. I mean, it features all the characters and stuff, and it definitely has a focus on Kira. Always li- like that character. Mm-hmm. Um, but instead of her being her tough-as-nails, major, colonel, whatever, Kira Norris, it's more of her feminine side and, and feeling side and you know, right. that kind of thing. Right. Yeah, in one of the flashbacks, it actually shows perhaps what I'm assuming is supposed to be a little girl, Nerys. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's talking to a woman that may or may not be her mom, asking to go on the walk. But this woman says, no, you're too young. And then the next scene shows that same woman being hung uh, at the gallows yeah. with uh, this little girl whose name is Nerys watching. Yep. yep. So I always thought that her mom died in in a battle of some sort. but. This could be an origin of, of her mom. Yeah. It, it, you know, you could, you could interpret this as a battle of, of sorts. Mm-hmm. Battle right. for their traditions. I mean, you know, not a physical, traditional battle, but uh, at least an act of defiance. Right. Yeah. I, I thought that was, I mean, that's pretty brutal that the Cardassians would take these, you know, these, these blankets and hang them. By With, the, the very blanket yep. that, that they were wrapping themselves in. Yep. Nasty. These are nasty people. And then there's another part of me that's like, well, they could have just not done it. I mean, they knew what the consequences were. But she still she still did it. And she still left this little girl motherless and grandmotherless. Yep. Not the smartest thing in the world. But, I mean, if you aren't going to be the type that's going to be a fighter or something right then this is an act of civil disobedience that maybe someone would do uh that isn't a fighter and they sure did it <laughs> and right. they paid the price unfortunately so did you take it that this was our Nerys? well or- you know at first no but you know it does make a lot of sense I mean, right. well, why would they name the kid Norris unless they wanted you to think that? Right. I mean, I don't know how common – is it Mary? Is it like Mary? I mean, I don't know how common the name Norris is, but, you know. Well, Norris is her last name, right? Her name is no, Kira. No, I thought, I thought they have it backwards. 
That's right. That's right. That's right. So Norris is her first name, right? And then, yeah, you're right. And I mean, here's... first name in our, you know, right, right, right. Thing. Family more... name versus uh, exactly. proper name. Family name comes first. Right. That's right. For the Bajorans. That's right. Yeah, well, there you go. So this could be her. If so, it's sad. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, other than that, I don't really have a lot to say about this one. Huh. It did make you think, though. So let's say somebody came and occupied us or yeah. something like that. Um, right. I mean, you know, this is maybe a trivial type. I mean, you might think of being an outsider. You've seen this and you're like, oh, that's trivial little a walk with your mom, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously it has some sort of deeper meaning. And then I, I was kind of putting myself in, in their point of view if if they said you couldn't do something that we do for, you know, religious or cultural reasons, mm-hmm. would, would I be willing to die over them? Right. That's, 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 a, that's a tough hole to start walking down because you start thinking about it and you're like, you know, if you don't do it, then you kind of feel bad because does that mean that uh, <laughs> you're not as strong in your faith that you thought you would? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's you know, it's the whole Salem witch trial and all the other horrible stuff that the the Nazis did and stuff. Just what, what would you do to, yeah. you know, conform or keep true to your faith? Yeah. Yep. So, anyways, uh, in, in that regards, I really like the story that it it made you think. Even though, again, it's not truly a Deep Space Nine story. It, it has nothing to do with the ship or the space station or anything like that. So it's it's kind of a – just a uh, – Well, it has to do with uh, the characters. Yeah. Well, one it's, it's well, very – even all of all them. Of them. I, mean, they're all, yeah. I mean, they're all demonstrating their uh, – the relationship with Kira and the strength of it. You know, they all want to do the walk with her um, for different reasons. Uh, and then they all do it. It's like it, – it's a little sweet. The story is just a, a tad bit sweet. Um, anyway. Yeah, so in Star Trek Deep Space Nine, wasn't uh, – didn't her mom end up being captured by Golda Cotton and they had uh, a relationship there on the station when it was still Tarek Nor? Or am I misremembering? Or was that a different character? I, I don't remember, man. You know, that, yeah, I, that, that rings a bell with me, but I don't, I don't remember the details. Right. So if if that is what it, what it was, which is – I'm remembering that's what it was. Um, okay. Maybe this story is the way she remembered it at that point in time because obviously this is somewhere in the middle of Deep Space Nine because of the uniforms and that uh, Jed Z is there. Mm-hmm. So it, it must be right right at the cusp of um, you know, Jed Z leaving. Right. So, I don't know. Maybe she's supposed to have already have known about what happened to her mom by that point. I don't know. It, it, anyways, still a good story. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. But, but again, kind of like the Voyager story, not what you were expecting. Um, it wasn't a high-stakes uh, story, adventure at all. Mm-mm. Well, I guess, I guess there were high-stakes, but in a more, you know, in this, you know, for the 
Bajorans under occupation. I mean, there were high stakes there, but you, you know what I mean, though. It's it's not right. a high stakes stories on story on the station. So right, right. So kind of interesting. They they stepped back with both stories and kind of said, "Hey, let's just examine the characters and and tell a nice story." And uh, doesn't have to be adrenaline pumping action all the time. Right. Right, and they do. They continue it with the uh, the next issue, which is the Enterprise. Just to yeah, throw that out as a teaser that that they they don't give you an Enterprise story at all. They just mm-hmm. take one character and kind of give a backstory on him. Right. Cool. So, anyways, all right. Well, that's it for this episode. Uh, what do we do next week, Ken? We're going to be doing Waypoint. Number four. So we'll be able to get to that uh, that Enterprise story uh, we were referring to earlier and start a new five-parter, which is a, a next-gen five-parter, Intelligence Gathering. So I've had that one for a while. So I'm looking forward to uh, to reading that story arc. Yeah, I don't even know it, where it's set. I'm assuming somewhere within the series, but... Um... Yeah, but when, I don't know. Because I think yeah. they've got the, like, maybe third, fourth season uniforms on. Oh, okay, okay. I think. So basically the coolest ones, well, I think. Well, actually, I kind of like the gray ones, too. Cooler than the gray ones? I don't I kind of like the gray ones. But, okay, so the coolest that were on the TV <laughs> series. How about that? All right. I'll give you that. Okay. <laughs> Do you know what the collars and stuff and not pajamas? Yeah, right. Yeah. So. All right, cool. So I'm looking forward to that, finally getting that Enterprise story. I've been wanting for... What? 10, 15 years. How long has it been out? <laughs> and I, I certainly hope you like the story. Why would I not? Exactly. Archer in it, right? It has, it has Archer in it. He's in most of it, as I recall. And maybe, uh, maybe a little Porthos. Maybe a little Porthos action. Or maybe a Porthos um, uh, ancestor. Or what, what's, what's the opposite of an ancestor? No, ancestor. Yeah. A Porthos <laughs> ancestor, maybe. Hmm. Hmm. Clues. Clues abound. All right. Well, I can't wait to can't wait to read it. And then there, I believe there's a so then there's another next generation story there. So we're going to really be hitting next generation hard next week. Oh, which is good with me. Yeah. The card and the boys and girls. Right. Right. Cool. All right. Cool. Sounds good. Okay. Well, thanks for joining us, everybody, on the review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review.